You're now listening to Storytellers. with the sweet, melodic, bluegrass-ish sound of Rachel Duels on the road home. Their style might be described as a little bit of everything, kind of a musical stew of sorts. That's what's written on their website, racheldules.com. And I happen to agree completely. However, I would also like to add that this family is the family you want to know. Rachel is just beautiful inside and out, And her husband, Nick, them two are just an amazing couple to be friends with. Not to mention their kids are talented in each and every way. But more than that, they all have the most beautiful heart for community. And every so often throughout the year, this family opens the doors to their own home, offering the best home-baked goods, the sweetest music, and just a really good time of fellowship. This is all free, open to the community. And that's just a little insight of this family. So let's hear her story. I was raised in a Christian home, really sweet, wonderful parents that love Jesus and raised me really with understanding relationship with the Lord. And um, I think I was seven years old when the Lord really wooed me. And I remember getting under the covers in my bed uh, and just talking to him and and asking him to come into my life. And then I didn't know what to do, so I started singing little worship songs under my sheets. From there on, I really had this sweet walk with the Lord. I really did talk to him, and, and we walked together. And it was really, really sweet. I, I think I was 12 when I started really reading the Bible on my own, which I think is kind of young. Very young. And God just put that hunger in me. And so I I remember writing a list of uh, all the books in the Bible on a sheet of paper. And then I would just, as I would read one, I'd mark it off. And I just, on my own, this, it was, it it was unusual, I think. I don't know why. It was just a hunger that I had to know him. And so the sweet relationship with the Lord and, and not, I didn't grow up rebellious, but there was just this one area of my life that I was really afraid to give God, uh, the, the rights to. Hmm. So I went off to school. I was 18. And I just, in my head, I have no idea where I got this stupid idea from. But I really thought that if I gave God the opportunity to pick my spouse, um, that he would pick someone that was super dorky and like nerdy you know, Bible thumper. I just, I don't know where I got that from, but I thought if God picks him, I'm not going to be attracted to him. And so I thought I better hold on to this right. Everything else, God, it's all yours. My life, all of that, but just you, 
you stay over there and I will pick who I want to date. And, <laughs> and so here I am trying to honor the Lord in all the steps, but this one area I'm not letting him have. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm a singer, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not a musician. And so I, there was this little piece of me that I always wanted to do music. So I was drawn to musicians. And as you know, musicians are not always the best people. (laughs) So I ended up kind of being wooed into a relationship with a guy that was 20 years older than me. And he, you know, he had a a music executive ponytail Mm. and drove a little sports car and and you know would show up at the dorm and pick me up and all the girls are like who's that but he was you know he was 20 years older than me so he's kind of an old guy you know he's 38 years old and I'm 18 and that was weird and so people started questioning hey maybe this isn't a good idea yeah <laughs> and of course I'm super strong-willed and so I w- was going down this road this guy's showing up at the dorm and he's you know talking all about my music and the songs I'd written and kind of acting like he's gonna be Prince Charming in that way and you know he hands me his card and it's you know this record label you know whatever you know you can print business cards really cheap (laughs) (laughs) he gave his own title (laughs) he did (laughs) yes he did and um I think it was just like I was trying to self-fulfill a dream that really the Lord had given me. The the dream was that God would use my music for his glory. And somehow I was wanting to use it for my glory. And it was all kind of interconnected. There was something to that. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I think the very last time that I sang for a great many years um, was at at the school, DBU, Dallas Baptist University, um, they had a large event for school-wide and also like all the alumni was there. So it was several thousand people and they asked me to sing and I don't even know why they asked me to sing. I was somebody, I don't know. And they said, you can pick whatever song you want. So I picked a love song and I dedicated it to this guy. Oh, wow. In front of all those people. And I remember when I did it, and I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with dedicating a love song to, but for me, in that moment, I knew that I was displeasing the Lord. Mm -hmm. Like there was something to it that was just like not right. And he took it from me. Like I I just felt it go. Mm -hmm. It was like, that was the last time I sang for about 10 years. Wow. And um, so as we kind of, we're dating and, you know, and just basically just the, the more I was with him, the less I was with Jesus. Mm. And, um, and there was such a disparaging, like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be with him and God because there was just so much not right about it. And, um, you know, I had kept myself for the guy I was going to marry. And then suddenly I found myself, you know, crying in tears, knowing that I had given myself to somebody that was just like not a good person and heartbroken thought, you know what, I'm going to tell this guy I can't do this anymore. So I got up and left. 
as the relationship progressed, he began to control more and more of who I was. And so that didn't last more than five minutes. And I was, you know, back at his place and, you know, just basically giving myself to someone that didn't deserve me, honestly. Yeah. No. I don't know him, but yeah, I could tell didn't deserve me. And that's, uh, yeah. And so there I was, um, kind of caught, like ensnared, you know, like Proverbs talks about the adulteress, but it was like an ensnarement. Mm-hmm. And Proverbs, it says, little, little does he know um, as he goes towards her house that uh, he's, he's fall- basically going to go into mm-hmm. a trap. And that's, that's what I, I fell into a trap. And um, I was so wounded by the relationship. It kept being more and more abusive and wounding and, um, and alienating, massively alienating. So as he got more of me, he, he began to push every single other person in my life out. So it was just, it was just me and him. And, um, and at first he, you know, claimed to be this awesome man of God. He had no relationship with the Lord. And, um, and as I was still trying to toe that line between my relationship with him and God, and I missed Jesus because, you know, when you, when you're in love with Jesus, you can't, you can't serve two masters. You'll hate the one or love the other. And you can't, Mm -hmm. you can't be devoted. And I know the Bible talks about that as money, but honestly, with anything, you just can't serve two masters. Mm -hmm. And I was really trying to serve two masters. And I was feeling the depth of that, the pain and suffering of that. And so finally it just got so bad. And I thought, okay, I'm, I can totally quit this. But I remember my parents coming to visit me at one point saying, Hey, you know, like trying to almost do a little intervention. And, um, and actually taking me away from that, like they, they said, well, okay, you know, we can, you don't have to be here. <laughs> and, and actually took me up to Nashville. And I, I remember meeting with the people from Treveca, which is a, oh, wow. uni- yeah. it's a Nazarene university there. Yeah. And they were going to give me a really great scholarship. And, but my heart was so entwined with this thing that it couldn't, it was like, you know, ball yarn mm-hmm. and trying to unwind that was So at that point, I remember having a really good trip with them, but on the way back, just feeling that, like, I've, I got to go back to this guy. I have to, and getting back to Dallas and, um, falling back in his arms only this time he hated me and, um, kept reminding me after that, that see, you can't leave me. You can't, you tried, you can't leave me. You can't live without me. And I, I began to be so just messed up in the head that I couldn't, I really just couldn't see straight. And, but it wasn't, you was more of him kind of that, that controlling, very controlling, manipulative. Yeah. And, you know, being 20 years older than someone, you really have the edge on them. If Definitely. you're a, a manipulator. Yeah. yeah. And just began to plant lies in my head. Um, lies about who I was and just straight from the enemy, honestly, Definitely. because just stuff that just wasn't true. No. Um, yeah. And then lo and behold, I turned up pregnant and, um, you know, I never really wanted kids. Oh, really? <laughs> 
I didn't, I didn't want kids. Amanda's awesome. <laughs> I thought, you know, I want to be a singer and I want to, you know, I want to live for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very selfish. Uh, you know, I wasn't a terrible person, but just wanted to live for me. <laughs> it's funny how, you know, I say I love Jesus, but there was this piece of me that was very selfish. And so here I am, I'm pregnant with the wrong guy. And, you know, right away, like, this you know, is just like I just, I knew good. I was in sin. I like full blown knew I was with someone that God had never orchestrated. Yeah. And that was my whole thing was God, if you orchestrated, I'm not going to like him. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> Anything God given at that age. Surely wouldn't be good. Yeah. <laughs> he has our best interest, but not with guys. <laughs> and you know, what's so funny about the whole thing is like, when I went to go pick the guy, I mean, you know, he's like, he's balding. He had kind of a, a belly. Like, oh, wow. he was not like Nick some is handsome. hot. You're a husband. So, <laughs> so funny. Like, wow. I look back at that and I go, wow, the enemy just full blown had me completely just, snowed. Well, yeah, like, you were like blinded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, so I'm pregnant. I am feeling starting to feel totally hopeless. And, you know, it's funny as, as that relationship progressed, the music thing began, uh, it was dying. It was like a, uh, it was like the love fern, you know, and, and as it died, um, he, I mean, he was crushing those dreams along with like my spirit and my, my personality was dying too. It was like, I used to be funny and snarky a little bit and like I would you know just life and he was crushing that so I became very cowed everything was I'm sorry oh I'm so sorry and I was just I couldn't make him happy I could not do anything right and here I am pregnant and he hated that baby I mean he hated he wanted that baby gone and um and so he began to just do whatever he could to get me to have an abortion. And I think at first he thought it was going to be easy, an easy sell. But there was this little piece in my spirit that I absolutely, like, I look back on it and I just think, what a miracle that I did not have an abortion because it was... I mean, I was ripe for this. Wow. I would, it would have been like so all easy. Signals were. Yeah. And it would just would have gotten rid of all my problems. problems. Yeah. Um, because I'm in a trap and that's the way out, right? You just, With you wrong just, guy, el- just wrong everything. Just eliminate the trap. Yeah. Right. But the Lord knew that that baby was actually going to be my way out. Wow. And so he finally, at one point, you know, could not get me to have an abortion. And I mean, it was, it got very violent. It was getting to the point where it was like slamming me into walls and furniture. And, I um, I remember one, one night I'm, you know, I'm pregnant and not well, like very, very anemic. And, um, I had my blood levels. I didn't even know what my blood levels were until I got out of the relationship, but, I, it was dangerously low and um, couldn't hardly stand up and just so, so sick. And I remember 
sitting in a chair and he came in and he was angry. He's just always angry at me and just grabbed me by the back of the head and just shoved my head into my crotch, which is a weird spot. You know, it doesn't really fit there, but it, it got there. Oh my and gosh. when it did, my whole spine just popped so loud. Oh my gosh. And are rolling into the floor. And I think we both thought my back was broken. But for whatever reason, I mean, I was okay. Wow. But things like that, it was just a lot. That just, I just have that memory well, was definitely. so yeah. <laughs> vivid yeah. years later. It's 23 years later. But um, anyway, it just got so violent and so bad. And there was no one. There was just no one in my life. So you didn't reach out to your parents? My parents My parents lived in Nashville. Okay. I was in Dallas. They knew I was with the wrong person. They, they felt how like abusive he they was? They did not. Okay. And I was painting him as this wonderful, wonderful person. And you're going to just love him <laughs> when you get to know him like I do <laughs> wow they had no idea like their daughter I think they had state. a gut they had a gut feeling okay. but they had no proof and or, or the full extent the full extent yeah. no and and wow. my parents were praying praying for me I mean just praying I have I have amazing parents when I met him he lived in a nice house in Dallas and as soon as we kind of got more entangled, he had a little lake house in um, Granbury, which actually um, is like an hour out of Dallas okay. in the woods. And um, it was like sort of an upstairs apartment with a downstairs and a garage. And the upstairs place was where he had all his his nice big screen TV and a refrigerator and kind of his... And it was... Uh, very much like a camp scenario. It didn't feel like a home. Oh. Oh. Um, and he would lock that during the day and make me stay down in the downstairs area where there wasn't any, it was just like, it was almost like a storage facility. Like oh, they had wow. furniture stacked and there was a bed down there. We didn't sleep in the same room. Um, he, he, he was just very mental and um, so I would just be locked out of the good area. I wasn't locked in. I was locked out. Um, and no money. No. He, if he thought that I might so leave, he would like take. days at a time or just while he was gone? While work? he was gone during the day. Oh. And, um, and he worked in Dallas, so he'd be gone till late at night. Um and I and if he thought that I was going to leave, he'd take my keys and my and I had a car, but I had no money. Mm. I had nothing on my own. I couldn't hardly stand up. So I wasn't really going to go, go anywhere. Yeah. Um, no food. Just like it, oh it was gosh. really, really rough. And I remember when <laughs> one day just having like a burst of I, you know, that tenacity kind of like creeping back up in me. And I'm like. Dang it, I'm going to get up there yeah. into that upstairs area where there's, like, stuff. And I remember going around to the side, and there was a ladder. of It was a tall building. And getting this, uh, going up to that second story, and he had, he had some really hard 
time sleeping. Like he, I think probably his conscience is hurting him. <laughs> but he had, he had nailed um, blankets to the windows so no one could see in. Mm-hmm. And so there was, and so I got up to it and I thought I could just push it open, yeah. but I couldn't. And I, and then I was there too far and I, I freaked out because I was so dizzy that I thought I couldn't make it back down. So I just, with all my weight, I like broke in through that. And I thought I could kind of do it without him knowing, but (laughs) it was like a big tumble. That didn't go over very (laughs) well. (laughs) So I got in big trouble for that. I never called the cops on him. I never, there was no, um, there was no trail to any of this. It was just like, he did this and I kind of let it happen. And I was just as much at fault because I could have, I could have driven to the nearest payphone. This was before the cell phone thing. Yeah. (laughs) Could have driven to the nearest cell uh, payphone and called. And I would have in one hour had someone there to rescue me. So it wasn't like I was in this and couldn't get out. It was that I was trapped in my own mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was just at this point with God, I think, where I wanted almost to prove to God that I was right. Like, see, God, I can make this work. <laughs> I think that's this- kind of a lot of our struggles of like, we know we're in the bad and we want to make the good out of it. Yeah. When it's like, like God, can you just please bless this? Yeah. Like, And then everything's going to be good. Yeah. Just bless this, God. I know that this is, you know, not maybe your will, but but, but if you'll just, it, yeah, but we're here now and <laughs> yeah. we can't go back. Make the best of it, yeah. God. <laughs> you say that you turn all bad towards a good. So. Right. And we, we totally twist scripture too. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, I remember at one point, um, having a conversation on the phone with my mom, which were pretty rare, mm. but, um, she said, I got a scripture for you. And she had pointed me to some scripture in Galatians that actually was unrelated to the scripture God actually wanted me to read. And, um, (laughs) but I kept reading, you know how like the Lord will use something and yeah. Yeah. And part of that, that Galatians force is, you know, um, they're, they're eager to alienate you from us. Like it mm. actually says that they're eager to alienate you from us, but don't be under the law. Like, but then it talks about Abraham and Hagar mm. and, you know, Hagar was, was trying to make the promise happen. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'd been doing. I, God had promised to use me, mm. but I didn't just want to be used. I, I wanted the promise to happen mm-hmm. on my own terms. And that's what Hagar was like. God never promised to bless that. He promised to bless Sarah. Mm. And, um, and this guy was my Hagar. It was like, okay, I'm just going to make this happen. And God was never going to bless that. It was not sanctioned was by not him. His will. It That's was not, not him. It was me you. making something happen on my yeah. own. And, and scripture says, send Hagar away. Hmm. Just, it's not. And you know, that always just seems so cruel, like so wrong, but it wasn't God's plan. No. And for us to try to make it his plan, get his plan. Or- so there I was, um, and 
recognizing that that was totally the scripture for me mm-hmm. and even and knowing that my mom didn't get it. Um, she didn't understand what she was saying, but I knew. Isn't that something? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how someone can be used. They don't even know what they're saying. No, but it makes complete sense. Yeah. So I, I tried over and over again to leave, you know, little short stints, but I just felt so trapped, just trapped, trapped, trapped. Um, and he had, um, this guy had one family that he wanted, um, to like him. Everyone else kind of was snowed by him. Mm -hmm. There were people, we had no friends that were my friends anymore, but we did have his friends and that, you know, some of those, um, some of those relationships we would kind of keep up a little bit, but they were, even those were super surfacey. No, no, just very surface Uh might go to dinner with somebody, but it was always like met with like, you know, a little pinch or a, a, uh, like, Hey, don't say that, you know, we're not allowed. And so I was super quiet. I just, I went from being, you know, one way to be totally just quiet, quiet with a lot of like, you know, just, just cowed. I was cowed, fearful, fearful. And almost always, if we were with somebody that was one of his friends on the way home from that, I would get destroyed by him because I would inevitably do something that he didn't like. So it was almost just better to not be around people because I couldn't. Yeah. Better off if you. Yeah. Most people in that situation, they alienate themselves because oh, yeah. it's better to it's just, just, yeah, than to put up a front. Potential <laughs> things. Because it's exhausting to put up a front, too. Oh, definitely. So this family, there was this one family that was an investor and he, he was a home builder, um, but he had, he'd gone br- bankrupt back in the 80s because um, that shows his age. <laughs> He's an old guy. <laughs> By the time I met him, none of that was there. Oh, okay. um, and But he's always kind of wanted to get back into it, but needed investors. So there's this one family that really liked him and liked me. Mm-hmm. And he kind of used me as a almost like a relationship builder. Mm-hmm. So I would hang out like with... that was your connection. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, but I was super careful, very, very careful around them. And I knew like there was a, a, a line to toe there and not, not to cross that. Mm-hmm. And so everything was pretty surfacy, but I was able to have conversations with, um, with the lady. Her name was Suzanne and just precious amazing sweet lady and she was no dummy and she was watching me knew I was pregnant Mm. and I wasn't we weren't with them a lot but here and there caught on and she became adamant that I go see a doctor and so that was her mission in life get me to a doctor Mm. and um he hated the idea of me going to a doctor because a couple of things. One, he, I think, just always hoped I would have a, either an abortion or I think he just really thought I would just miscarry because I was so ill and I never did. And so the idea of spending money on a doctor who didn't have insurance mm-hmm. um, and 
trying to actually <laughs> foster growth in my body yeah, was just like way opposite yeah opposite of his goals yeah so um so she finally was like so adamant about it um and I was towing the line with him trying to keep him happy and also feeling the that he was trying to keep them happy so and how so funny I, that is where he's just like yeah okay, i guess was, i'm gonna have to support this sort of but he wasn't like no. he was not wanting oh, to do that not and so he wanted to have that good <laughs> it's a good good relationship with yeah. them um and so one day i got a phone call from her and she was like i made you an appointment and it was like for like two days from now. And I'm like, uh, uh, but I knew I was in trouble. Like I felt like I had done it even though I hadn't. Mm -hmm. And so when he got home that night, I said, Suzanne made me a doctor's appointment. And he immediately was enraged. How dare she? She doesn't have the right to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And just berated me for it. And, um, and I, I was crying. I remember crying and just saying, I think something's really, really wrong with me. Like I'm, I think, because <laughs> I actually was dying and I didn't know it. Like oh my, my body, gosh. I was so anemic. Um, I was like a four point five um, my hemoglobin, oh my which gosh. is like you you pass out at a six. Oh. And um, somehow you were just still going. I could when I lift my head, I mean, I was just, it was stars, like oh. black, and then, you know, wait for the, the lights to come on, oh and um, vomiting just incessantly. Uh, it was really unsafe where I was at, and just not, no nourishment whatsoever. Like, I mean, I couldn't, even when he was feeding me, which was <laughs> not a great situation, um, I mean, it was bad. So... Um, so that night, um, as I'm crying, I remember him kind of softening and being like, why are you crying? Like, get over it. <laughs> and I'm oh like, I really want to go to the doctor. And so I remember him agreeing to it. And I think main reason he agreed was just simply because of this couple that he was so trying to keep them in the circle. Um, cause that was kind of his hope of making yeah. it big again. And so, you know, she didn't offer to pay. He was going to pay. And I mean, rightly so. Yeah. <laughs> Why like, should... I made the appointment. You and... will pay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so uh, when I got there, the doctor's appointment was a little bit more expensive than she had originally told me. Oh, okay. Um, and I remember that they they weighed me. And I, I remember I had boots and I had a flannel on. It was cold outside and I had just, I mean, and that was like at 105 pounds and I was five months oh pregnant. And then when they took my blood work, they were like, oh honey. <laughs> I, was, I still, I don't think really understood. I mean, they were like, but their baby, I mean, I heard my heart, the heartbeat and you know, and so, um, I remember going back to her house and he picked me up there. And when he did, um, he was nice to her, to her face. But as soon as we left, I mean, it was like all hell broke loose. He was so hateful. And I just, I was just bawling, just crying, crying, crying the whole way back. Well, there was a spot on um, the 183. I, rem I remember the, the name and the, the area where we were at because he had lost a hubcap, like 
I don't know, a week or two before. And he wanted to pull off to the side of the road and see if he could find that hubcap on the side of this freeway. And one of the things he had berated me for was the fact that it was more money than he wanted to spend on my Oh, your check. On my checkup. So he pulls off to the side of the road and he gets out and uh, and he, I'm like trying to do everything in my power to help him mm. because I'm like trying to make everything every, a it's little just bit. like everything was just groveling yeah. to his every whim. And so it was like I'm out there dizzy as all get out trying to help him find a hubcap. Mm. And I remember looking down and there's a $20 bill and I'm like, look, $20. And then a little bit further, there's another 20 and another 20. And it turns out <laughs> we picked up, uh, it was like 180, I, I wrote this down. It's in a, it's in one of my journals. It was like 180 bucks. And it was almost the exact amount of my doctor's visit that day. Oh my gosh. And I remember him, <laughs> I remember him saying, God's totally blessing us. <laughs> no way. <laughs> And I remember thinking, God's not blessing you. Mm. He's providing for me. Mm-hmm. And not that God didn't love him. No. But God was not rewarding his terrible behavior. No. He was just making provision for me because he loved me. And when I think about that, I'm like, my gosh, even back then, even in my rebellion, he was totally there. He's so faithful. So faithful. And... And even, it was funny because even though he had all that cash right that second, (laughs) he never paid the doctor bill because the doctor bill came later and it it went to collections and Mm. it was a mess. Shortly after that, Suzanne, my friend that made us go to the doctor said, I want to throw you a wedding shower. You didn't have a wedding. Um, Oh, and in the process of all this, at, at one point we ended up getting married. It was so uneventful. And uh, yeah, it was just like a justice of the peace kind of deal. and Get it done type thing. It meant nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he didn't ever really want to marry me, but it was just sort of like he was starting to feel pressure mm-hmm. f- outside sources and I'm getting more and more pregnant. And honestly, yeah, I mean, so much of it too was like, there was a lot of me trying to leave, trying to leave, trying to leave. And I'd always try to leave and he'd hide my keys and hide my wallet. And I think in his mind, it's like, okay, let's just do this. So now she'll be really trapped. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really know. I don't, anyway, it happened. And, and so we were legally married. So Suzanne wanted to throw me a wedding shower. And she says, send me a list of all your friends. I have no friends. Suzanne, you're it. (laughs) To appease Suzanne, I'm like, okay, you know. And so um, she's throwing a a shower for me. Well, my mom is invited. She's going to come down from Nashville. Mm. And it's the first time my mom has seen me in a very long time before I was pregnant. And and hasn't really it's been like with a reunion essentially. Yeah. And she's about to see <laughs> what I look like, the dark woman. circles under my eyes and the yeah, just like sick. totally sickly, yeah. yeah, not well. You know how you get used to how you look and mm-hmm. what you've become. <laughs> no wow. idea what I look like. So she flies in 
And we went to pick her up at the airport. And so he's really trying to put on a good front. Like oh, wow. this is like his his big moment to shine. Mm. He's going to prove <laughs> what a great guy he is. <laughs> or could be. So, yeah. And so we're driving. We, we, we picked her up at the airport in Dallas and we were going to drive down to Waco where my sister and brother were going to Baylor at the time. Well, haven't seen anybody in a long time. And as we're driving down, I'm beginning to kind of forget myself a little bit and, and enjoy the moment and talking to my mom. And she's talking about having a grandbaby. She's so excited, excited. about that. And who knows what she said that ticked him off because everything ticked him off. But something sparked a real animal, I mean, just massive anger in him. Wow. And I remember somewhere in the course of that conversation, suddenly I became painfully aware that I had really, really done something wrong. And I didn't ever know what, but I just knew, oh no, time to pay the piper, you know? So we got to my sister's place. Remember that that night was the worst night. He he berated me all night, just whispering in my ear, just, you know, you bitch, you blah, 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 just, just berated me all night. And one of his favorite things to say was, you can't even love me. How are you going to love a baby? You know, just so <laughs> I look at that now and I'm like, that wasn't even a clever lie. No. Come on. <laughs> But at that moment, you're just time, so yeah. It messes with you, yeah. and you become this you other person. Every far-fetched lie, totally. And that's how the enemy likes to trap people is mm -hmm. is in their own brain. Long before a physical trap mm -hmm. comes, the mental one. So by morning, I mean I'm I'm already an emaciated wreck from the last year and a half. But now suddenly I'm uh I'm incapable of holding my head up. I'm so worn out mm, from that night. Just defeated. Defeated. But my mom and my sister were there and that was the first time I'd ever had family around while feeling this way. Yeah. So I remember going in and I'm, I'm sitting on the, the edge of the tub and my mom's getting her makeup on talking to me and she just turned around. I remember her turning around and looking at me going, do you feel trapped? Mm. I mean, she just said it here. He's in, he's there. Not he's like, in the hey, house. How are you doing? Are no, you okay? it's just, literally. do you feel trapped? And <laughs> it was like the floodgates of heaven. Just <laughs> blah. I couldn't hold it back. Wow. And I go, I am trapped. <laughs> and I'm like sobbing. And she, I mean, I remember just like, you're not trapped. You don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. You can come home with me. And I'm like, but I'm married. I'm having a kid. She's like, like all the things that are locking you everything down. that was locking me in. She goes, you're not trapped. Mm -hmm. You're not trapped. And she didn't know a tenth of what had been going on. She had no idea. She just knew in her spirit that this was so off. Mm -hmm. So I remember just all of a sudden getting like a the gumption that I hadn't had in so long. And I remember we marched into the living room and he's sitting in this overstuffed chair, kind of, he's a tall, tall guy, big guy mm -hmm. and intimidating. 
but he just looked like a sad puppy dog sitting there. And I remember walking in, confronting him. Mm -hmm. This is what you've been doing. This is, you know, and as I'm confronting, it was like, I don't even want to talk to you. Mm. I don't, this is not even worth my time. I don't have enough energy to even address this. What's the point? We all know who you are. You know who you are. You know who you are. Yeah. And they didn't really, but he did. I remember my brother comes over. My mom called him up. He comes driving over and my brother's just as big as this guy. Oh. <laughs> so he had his match. I love my brother. He's the most intimidating person you'll ever meet in your life. <laughs> my brother just came in and just sat there real quiet. Wow. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> You're like, where have you been? <laughs> it was awesome. For the first time I felt people on my side, like I wasn't by myself in this. Mm-hmm. And, um... We, I, I, I don't even remember that lasting very long. Cause I remember just thinking, let's just go get my stuff. Like and I didn't, I didn't have much. I, I didn't have furniture. I didn't have, I, all I had was like a few bags of clothes and like, you know, some mm-hmm. stuff like basically call, cleaning out a college dorm. Cause mm-hmm. that's all I had. And we went, drove that drive to Granbury and on the drive, my brother took him in his car what? <laughs> and me and my mom and sister rode together in, in mine and the whole way I'm filling them in on what's been going on that I mean I had been lying for a oh, year and a half so about venting yeah and, all that. and you know a year and a half is really not that long but wow oh, a lot yeah. can happen <laughs> well yeah <laughs> And so that whole way, just filling them in. And by the time we got there, he had called ahead and (laughs) we went to church occasionally there in Granbury. And, and there was a pastor that didn't know us really just knew the smiling, you know, put on an act face that you try to put on when you're going Mm -hmm. to church. (laughs) Yeah. We're good. We're good. You don't need to ask any questions. (laughs) And he was there. And (laughs) the funny part about this is so typical of the devil, but he will actually accuse you of what he's been trying to do. Mm. <laughs> so when, when I got there, the accusation was that I was planning on having an abortion oh, wow. <laughs> and that he's this heartbroken husband wow. that just can't believe this is happening. And I was like, are uh, you freaking kidding me? <laughs> You've been working for months to try to get me to have an abortion. Wow. And so I looked at that pastor and I just said, you don't know what's going on. And I just refused to sit and talk because there wasn't really any, there was no like, and I knew at that point, yeah. like God's not blessing this. Like no. I'm, I'm relieved of this. This is not something that I need to try to make work. But the Lord literally was throwing flares Like the whole time I started becoming involved with this guy, I mean, I had a spiritual dream one night that was insane. Like in my dream, very clear message from God, like, don't do it. And it wasn't even about him. It was more about me walking around without a covering. Mm -hmm. Um, And in my dream, I was, I was fighting to do something. I don't know trying to remember exactly what the dream was, but it was just, it was about spiritual covering. And I had not, I, at that point was off at school, was never like really in the same church on, on, 
any given week, I was always somewhere different. Mm. I was floating around doing my own thing and was not under a spiritual covering. Mm. And that was really the message of it was you're doing your own thing. And this is not wise. And Mm. there was just a ton of people in my life before I alienated them all that were like, Hey, we noticed that this is scary. (laughs) But I, you know, I didn't listen. So I knew that God never sanctioned it. And I knew that I was trying to make something work that was not from him. And how, how um, audacious of me to ask God to bless my disobedience. I think that's a lot of us though. Because <laughs> I mean, with my testimony, I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. It was like, God, just make good out of this bad yeah. Can you fix this, please? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Without me taking a few steps back to actually do what he told me to do. Exactly. It's like, just fix this yeah. and then we'll move forward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there I was, um, packing my bag up, my brother and sister and getting in the car and just driving to Nashville. And I, just, just that entire trip, just pouring out my heart mm. for the first time. It was like just so much freedom in honesty mm. you know how when you've lived a lie and then you finally can be honest wow it was just so amazing and I got there and started kind of um kind of just healing mm. and for the first time I remember waking up the morning after we drove and we got there and I think in the afternoon, I'm trying to remember now, but I remember waking up in the morning, my mom was getting ready for work and I could hear at the time it wasn't CDs. It was a tape, a cassette tape of the word mm. playing. And she had like the whole set, you know, that's <laughs> before, yeah, before yeah. the audio Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and hearing the word of God, my mouth was parched. Mm. I was so hungry and thirsty for God's word and hearing it just like, Oh, I was drinking it in. And I remember just laying there in the bed going, this is literally like heaven. Mm. And there was so much peace. And my parents were just living in a little apartment, basement apartment in Nashville. And I suppose it could have been depressing, but it wasn't, it was so peaceful. And so after that, I remember my mom left for work and I just started playing those word tapes. And I remember that year, I, that's all I did. I never watched any TV. I never listened to anything but worship and the word. Mm. And I healed extra fast because of that. There was so much healing in it because when you, when you don't give yourself anything but good stuff, all of those lies couldn't hold. And I mean, some of them, some of them took pretty deep root and it it was a little hard. I think the rejection was the Mm. big one, but God gave me Isaiah um, 54, a single baron, you who never bore a child, burst into song and shout Mm. for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. I remember just thinking, okay, I don't have a husband, but you're my (laughs) husband, Lord. And then just all the promises in that chapter about great will be your children's peace and righteousness. You'll be established and tyranny will be far from you. You'll have nothing to fear. Um, Terror will be far removed. You'll uh, let's see. I had all of that memorized at one point, but um, 
There's another part that really, I think, really spoke to me. It says, to me, this is like the days of Noah. when, mm-hmm. I, And I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. And so now I've sworn not to be angry with you, mm-hmm. never to rebuke you again. And that basically what I had experienced before that was a, a rebuke in the sense that God said, okay, you want to do this? Like, I'm, I'm a gentleman. I'm not going to force you to love me. Mm-hmm. But the rebuke was in just letting me deal with the consequences of my own sin. But then to say, never will I rebuke you again, like almost like a protection, like yeah. I'm never going to let you fall for this again. Yeah. And just totally like imbibing that, that whole chapter, um, the whole part about you'll refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me declares the Lord. I was like, I've never refuted his tongue. I've never been able to refute that tongue. I always was the loser in every fight. (laughs) And here the Lord saying he would refute. He would do it for me because I I can't. And I don't. So just healing from that. But then two weeks after I moved there, he moved to Nashville. Not quite ex, but back then. Two weeks later, he moved. This was 1996. Yeah. And uh, so put letters he on was my car and show up their basement. I remember a very, very posh church neighborhood. My parents were going to a church, torturing um, me, you know. And he showed up. <laughs> that was that was his base, you know, his I base of operations. <laughs> of course, these people had no idea. Just they just totally, you know, and he, he really was a charmer. Up, like he was like, charming. I was good. So people, yeah, people liked him. Anyway, so he was sending me notes and and some of them were really kind. They were like. Almost repentant. And I just, um, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm getting counseling now. Things are going like well. Like he's gotten help. Like Things I'm getting help. Yeah. And I wasn't falling for any of it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, but then it, it was almost like every other letter <laughs> was like, heinous awful mm-hmm. and then that one then then there'd be a i'm getting help and oh i'm so sorry kinda i know like, i've treated you wrong yeah <laughs> wow so mm-hmm. he was just going back and forth and at the time my parents were building a house mm-hmm. And somehow or another, he found the house that they were building. Um, wow. I think he was following us, obviously. They were stalking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, full blown. <laughs> That's what they call that. Yeah, <laughs> There's a name for it. And uh, well, okay, so let me back up. I remember around Christmas time, he, I moved there in October, and by Christmas, he, uh, it was just a fever pitch mm-hmm. Christmas morning. He left some pretty awful stuff on our front door and you know, here we are. It's just like, it feels so violating when you, you know, somebody that's like off. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I can't say that I ever thought he would kill me. I just thought he might do something really awful other than that. Like I wow. never really thought, I don't, I don't know that he had murder in his heart. I mean, I hope not, but I, it just felt unsafe. Mm. So Christmas morning, I remember we called the cops and that was the first time we'd ever involved the police, but it felt like I didn't know if he was outside Uh. and it felt dark and it just was icky. Eerie. Eerie. Yeah. And and so the police came and I had been saving up. I had a little, you know, bag of goodies and things. I don't know, just the Lord that I saved that stuff because there it was. This is what he's been leaving. 
<laughs> you know, and oh, another thing that the Lord really used in the in the freedom process mm-hmm. to get my mind set free because that's where that's where the real bondage comes in uh, was I journaled. Mm. I journaled like crazy, and I I I journaled so much that then when my mind would kind of remember the happy times, cause you know, people that are in that type of relationship, they go back Yeah, and you always wonder how, how, would, earth why would you go back? But it's because your brain tells reminds you of, Oh, but you just need a hug mm-hmm. right now. I just need a hug, yeah. <laughs> you know, or I just like need baby. Oh yeah. Well, and I was still pregnant at the time, but just like emotionally you're a wreck. Definitely. And so to write down the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, And to be able to then say, okay, I'm going to forgive this person, but I'm going to have that memory. If I forget, I will go back and I will Mm -hmm. read this so that I can remember the heinousness. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't remember that, you fall back in the trap again. That was just God told me to do that. And I did not realize how useful that was going to be, but that was really instrumental because every time I would kind of go down that road emotionally, I just open my journal journal. back up and go, oh, and then all those feelings and all the hurt and everything you go, oh, but you have to, like, Mm -hmm. you have to re-experience it to remember, um, to not go back. back. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a real fine balance between, you don't want to hold unforgiveness and bitterness, but you also need to remember the pain. Definitely. Yeah. So Christmas morning, the police come, they look over my bag of goodies that (laughs) I have and they're like, you have a stalker. And I was like, is that what this is called? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, yes, ma'am. You don't have to put up with this. There's a little thing called an order of protection and you can go and you can get one. And then he's not allowed to come anywhere near you. And I thought, I doubt he'll, that'll matter. (laughs) But I thought, you know, I should probably do that doesn't hurt. So I, I went through with it. They, they filed and they got me a court date and I went in and I remember being terrified. I remember that that morning I got up and that scripture in Isaiah about you'll refute every tongue Mm -hmm. that accuses you. I was like, okay, Lord, because what if he shows up? Yeah. Like what if he shows up? And I went with my sister, my sister came with me and I'm there in the courtroom and there is just, it's packed with women that are all broken. Mm. Like some of them were coming in with casts on mm. and broken bodies, you know, oh and co- going before that judge. And he just was not very kind. Mm. He was a, he was gruff and quick and would listen to part of their story and then be like, okay, whatever. And he was giving everybody that wanted an order of protection one. So it wasn't like, will he give me, will he give me one? It was just that I, I saw these women being humiliated. Mm. I don't know if maybe he'd just seen so much that he was just kind of like over it. I don't know. But when I got up there, here, I had never, ever refuted this tongue, mm-hmm. right? Like, never. Well, lo and behold, he shows up with a lawyer. And he's the only guy in the entire courtroom. All the, It was just women. Nobody else even showed up to bother to, 
contestant. I don't think there was another man in there. Wow. It was just me, a bunch of women, and then him and his lawyer. I and I, I saw that lawyer and I thought, oh my gosh. I'm like, unprepared. I, yeah. And even though in my heart, I was like, well, he's giving these things out like candy. I'm, it's not a problem getting an order of protection. But I'm going to get humiliated. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I had already been humiliated so many times and never, never once had I been able to withstand the argument. Mm-hmm. So I remember going up there and I'm just shaking like a leaf. Like I, I can't even get my brain together. But I had my little bag of goodies. <laughs> <laughs> and the judge calls me up and I'm standing there and... At this point, you could see a little baby bump. I was starting to gain some weight and look sort of a little more pregnant. I just said, you know, I really would like for him to leave me alone. (laughs) And I put the, the, you know, bailiff or whoever takes the little bag of goodies and shows it to him and he's looking at it. And I just said, I... I'm, I moved up here. I tried to get away. away from him. He moved. He's constantly bothering me and I just would like him to leave me alone. And then his lawyer gets up Mm. and tries to say some things. And I don't know how it happened. Like I, I need to go back and reread my journals to remember exactly how it all worked out. But it was like all of a sudden, like this bold lion. I mean, I just became so bold and there was a little exchange that happened. And as I'm all of a sudden, this streak of boldness, I just full blown decimated the lawyer (laughs) and it just came out of nowhere. And I remember the judge going, well, she obviously does not want you around. And, oh, and I remember he he said, um, he spoke and he said, but I love her kind of like, you know, I'm just trying to win her back kind of thing. And anyway, that judge just hopped down his throat. Just, I mean, let him have it. And it was the first thing that, that he'd ever said in the entire time that I was there that was positive towards the woman. It was crazy. And I remember going back and sitting in my seat and my heart's just pounding. And I remember the girl next to me going, wow, you really told him that was awesome. (laughs) And it just came out of nowhere, but I knew it was like that promise was so real for me. Definitely. Anyway, so order protection, blah, blah, blah. He didn't pay any attention to it. He kept doing things. And that's when last straw, you know, he kept violating, kept violating Mm. and, at that point, I had the baby. Cool, cool little side story with that. Joel was breech, and I had no insurance, and I had, uh, I was terrified of doctors. Like mm-hmm. that was my, the idea of even going into a hospital just made me. Whoa, I was so afraid of hospitals, and here I am, you know, nineteen, scared to death, feeling alone, and then the idea of doctors. Well, I wasn't afraid of pain, just doctors. (laughs) And so I hired a midwife and she was awesome. She was a Christian lady and just so amazing. But she's like, your baby's breech and I can't deliver Mm, a breech baby, a first time mom. There's no way. And so you're going to have to go to the hospital if this baby doesn't turn. Well, I remember the spot I was driving home from there, praying And I remember the Lord saying, I mean, I remember where I was at on Old Hickory Boulevard, on the bridge. I remember him saying, 
I'm never late. And I was like, okay, you're never late. That must mean the baby's going to turn before I have it. So, okay. okay. Yeah. And just total faith, like fully just accepted that as God's word for me. And okay, I'm never late. All right. Well, the morning I remember my water broke and knowing that once your water breaks, the baby can't turn. But then I'm like feeling around going, I think maybe the baby turned. The baby must have turned because I mean, God's never late, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we drive all the way out to Carthage, Tennessee to the the doctor that was kind of the umbrella doctor for my midwife. Well, I get there and um, in my midwife told me they're they are not going to allow you to have this baby naturally if it's breech mm. it just isn't going to happen well i got there and they reel me in giving me a sonogram nope baby's still breech double footling breech like that's the worst oh. kind of breech to be because the the head will go back in the canal get stuck they'll die yeah. could kill you bad scenario yeah. um definitely gonna have a c-section well i'm crushed because Number one, I got that word from God that he's never late. <laughs> and I'm at this point like, no, 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 no. You said you're never late. <laughs> like what's going on? Yeah, yeah. And I'm confused. And two, I'm petrified of knives. Like yeah. that just scared me so bad. So I remember them coming in, giving me an epidural, which that in and of itself, I was petrified, but I got through it. Okay. And they give me the epidural for a C-section, which yeah. is like way more than just an epidural if you're going to push. Right. Yeah. And after that, I remember my mom and my midwife are in there and I said, let's, let's just pray really quick that... God will just have this baby come out and then I don't have to have a C-section. And they're like, okay. So they pray with me and I'm like, Lord, just let this baby just pop out, come out naturally. And then I won't have to have a C-section. Amen. And then, I mean, it was like, there was no time for God to work. They come rolling in there and they're like, you know, like, yeah, I'm like, dang it. That wasn't enough time for God to do anything. <laughs> like, can you just give me one minute? Let God try and Maybe do something. like 10 minutes would have been good, you know, something. So they wheel me in. I'm I'm underneath that ugly metal lamp with that white terrible fluorescent mm. light. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm very very <laughs> I love lighting and that's like the worst lighting there ever is. Yeah. Could I please redesign this operating room to look more aesthetically pleasing? So I'm, I'm hearing them tinker with the, the little metal tray with the knives and I am just devastated. And I'm laying there and I remember the hot tears rolling down my cheeks as I'm looking up that ugly light. And this, she's a female doctor, um, not a Christian, comes in, she sees me crying and I remember she was just so sweet and she's like, it's all right. You know, you're trying to talk me down and I'm not saying anything. I'm just quietly going through it. And in my head though, I'm saying, God, you're late. This is the official moment when I am making yeah, the like call. You never are late. <laughs> you said you're not late and you're late. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember her saying to the nurse, uh, just check her one more time before we get started it wouldn't really matter even if even if the baby popped out halfway at this point wouldn't yeah. matter because the birth canal like it's just too dangerous you, you the head pops back they get stuck it's just it's bad news yeah so they're not even allowed to legally allow you to have the baby naturally so she looks and right at that moment boop, two little feet pop out 
And they're like, oh my goodness, look. So then suddenly my vagina becomes like the talk of the town. (laughs) Everybody's coming to look at these two little feet. Um, She looks back at me and I remember her grabbing my hand. She's kind of patting it and she goes, I'm going to take this as a sign from God that this baby's supposed to be born naturally. Mm. And I knew I'd already been prepped that that was not even a possibility. And I'm like... Oh (laughs) my gosh, you're not too late. So then they had to wheel me into another room and wait. They waited for like four hours. God was just like, I'm never late. And sure enough, so I had the baby um, naturally and some of those things did happen. They did have to resuscitate him, Um, but he was healthy and... It was one of those miracles that literally, I guess I got kind of famous behind my back for because that doctor almost lost her job for it. She was reprimanded by a whole like board for what she did. And, um, and in fact, when, when this is years down the road, when I was pregnant with Hallie, Hallie was also breech. They told me, do not go back to that hospital. You're not allowed. (laughs) I was like, because somebody okay. will leave her. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see you. I almost lost my job for it. So anyway, so I bring home this baby boy. Pop back in the storyline a little bit. Um, after the the order of protection, I got this little packet with that order of protection and a little Manila envelope that had kind of resources and had this little pamphlet that was like, um, if you want 45 minutes of free legal counsel, you can go to the YMCA. So I went and I had already at that point seen two other lawyers. Um, one was a pretty high powered attorney that was a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. And he had just said to me, you're screwed basically like wow. in a, in the most unhopeful way. Um, you know, why did you never call the police when these things were happening? Uh, is he said, like, she I wish said I was mentally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and because people that are abused don't, don't call do the police, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I had nothing and it was just, Hey, if he wants this baby, you're going to be sharing. And it was so ironic because here's the guy that doesn't want the baby. And now suddenly every, all the letters that he's writing, everything is about him just wanting to be a dad and, you know, just like Like caring so much about this baby. Yeah. And I'm like, what the heck? This isn't true. This isn't real. But then I went back to my Isaiah scriptures and I was like, no, great will be your children's Mm -hmm. peace. I'm like, there is no way that God wants me sharing this baby Mm -mm. with an animal. No. And I'm all up for forgiveness and all these things. Totally. But this is a dangerous, like I- You're putting your child in dangerous This is not healthy. So I'm defeated already, but I'm hopeful in those scriptures. Like I'm holding on to God's promises like they are my lifeline. And so here I am at the YMCA, but I, I walk in and this lady- seriously look like an angel. Mm. She was so kind-hearted. She was not a Christian. Her name was Kelly Sauls. And I I just, gosh, I wish I could find her. Um, I want to thank her because I don't, yeah, I don't know. She stopped being a lawyer. I tried to look her up at one point, but she, I mean, well, what, what would you like? And I said, well, I'd, I like to terminate his parental rights and I need a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, we can do that. I just went, 
okay. Like in my brain, I'm going, well, that's not what everybody else said, but yeah. okay. And I really just felt like it was the Lord just saying, Hey, I got you. I got you. So she wrote down some stuff. She goes, well, let's get started with that divorce. We need to do that first. And so she ended up taking my case almost pro bono. It was ridiculously cheap. Um, that divorce, it drug out for almost a year. During that time, um, he harassed her. Mm. He harassed, I mean, he just... <laughs> he was trying to get his way. Yeah, it was nuts. Like, by the end, she's going, oh my gosh. <laughs> I get this why. Guy? <laughs> I get it. Right. It was, it was gnarly. I mean, so I have this awesome lawyer. She's and she's giving me counsel. She says, "Look, after you have the baby, you need to allow him the opportunity to see the baby." Sounds scary, but if yeah. he if he does not want to, then you can prove a lack of interest. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important point because if you stop him from seeing the baby, then that's like infringing on his rights and like after I had the baby, also I needed his social for the birth certificate. And this is where it's like, oh my gosh, where were my parents? I think that they were both at work, but somehow or another, I end up in a phone call with him. And this was my first time talking to him. After all of this, after order protection, after all of that, right? And he was so sweet on the phone. He was like, sugar sweet. Oh my gosh, you're going to make the best mom ever. You know, and I mean, it was like, I mean, I might as well have been eating one of those Werther's Originals caramels, just so smooth and sweet and it's just buttery. And it, oh, it fed my soul. So that night I went to bed thinking about it. And then it was like, you know, that whole thing about taking a thought captive. That's what it's talking about. Like, don't let these thoughts that you know are. Yeah. Don't let them captivate your mind. Mm -hmm. Like stay focused on what you know to be Mm -hmm. true. And I let those thoughts meld around in my head. And then, um, you know, he wanted to see the baby, of course. Mm -hmm. So we had a time where we were supposed to meet. We met at a public place at Green Hills Mall. I remember the little planter box that we sat on. And I remember handing him Joel and thinking, oh, my gosh. Like, there was a moment where you're just like, why am I letting this guy hold my baby? But then there's this little piece of me that's like, maybe he's changed. Maybe it's real. Oh my gosh, wouldn't that be great? And then we could be a family family and this would just be wonderful. It would fix everything. Yeah. Everything would be fixed. Yeah. A moment where your heart's not ready for that. Also postpartum, like really, that was a so, such an unsafe spot for me to be in. Why no one was there to... (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame my parents, but I just, yeah, I don't know. I remember him starting to cry and thinking, oh, thank God, here, I'll take the baby back. Mm -hmm. And then being like, well, it was nice to see you. Goodbye. And I left and, you know, heart pounding and like all these emotions and trying to figure out, you know, why you feel one way, but then also feel this way and like trying to sort it all out in your head and remembering God's promises, but then also having all these desires that are wants. wants. Um, there was another meeting and another, I think we had three meetings in total. Third meeting, he said, Hey, do you want to see where I live? And at that point, I think I had been, you know, 
Hmm. playing it again and again so much that I was like kind of comfortable with it. And even in the middle, I think the second meeting we had, I remember bringing him journal with the story of us and him sitting and reading it for like two hours. He like shed tears. I'm so sorry. And it was this moment where it was like, hey, maybe we're making headway here. Like in my brain, this was starting to work out, you know? Definitely. (laughs) Of course, I hadn't told my parents because I mean, they would have been horrified, right? Why would you tell them? Yeah. (laughs) And so third meeting, he's like, you want to see where I live, you know? And it's pretty impressive. And so I drove separately, drove to his house, went inside the front door. It's impressive. Walking down the, the, the staircase down to his basement apartment where he was staying um and there's just gold records lining the walls and it just feels very like you're in like this is cool and he's like also reeling me back into that you know hey and we'll do music and Mm -hmm. this and that and it's just like this as a lure yeah and it was a lie (laughs) all of it yeah and as i'm walking down those stairs everything in me is screaming get out of here But then I'm like, oh, but this feels so good. Oh, man. The Holy Spirit's like, stop. (laughs) You're an idiot. (laughs) And I got down to that bottom stair and, you know, he's like, here, sit down on the bed, you know. And I'm like sitting there and holding Joel and just feeling the vulnerability of my Mm. position. Like, wow, I am in the most vulnerable spot right now. And I mean, nobody's home. We're in this giant house. No one in my family even knows where I'm at. Being like, I... I need to go. I need to go. And him kind of, well, I remember saying that out loud, like, well, it's, this is really neat. Like, I think I need to get going now. I'm going to go home. And him saying, this is your home. You're home. You're with me. You're my wife. You know, it was like all these, and just feeling that, oh, shoot. Like, yeah, this is, I'm not supposed to be here. And I've really goofed up now. I'm, I'm in a world of hurt. And right about that time, it was a walkout basement on the backside and the garage was right near it. And I could hear a car pull up and I could hear car doors open and little feet of kids and a mom getting out of the car. And I was like, this is my moment. And so I just bounded up those stairs and he didn't stop me. And by the time I came around, you know, they were coming in from, from the garage and I remember him introducing me. This is my wife and my son. And bye. (laughs) (laughs) And looking in that rearview mirror, seeing him because he walked out. And that was the last time I really saw him. So um, got the divorce, started going to a little um, group at the church I was going to, they had a college and career department. I was the only one with a kid (laughs) not going to college and not having a career. (laughs) Didn't really belong, (laughs) but showing up there and just feeling so loved. And those people surrounded me and held me up and began to kind of, you know, slowly, but surely sort of let people in and tell my story a little bit and was not looking for a guy just absolutely scared senseless at the idea everything well at the idea of me picking someone Mm. I knew for a fact I wanted God to pick this time (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, took okay, all of God. that. Okay. <laughs> all right. Maybe my choices suck. <laughs> Maybe you should pick this time. So I remember uh, being at a friend's house, and when one evening I'm sitting there, and um, one of the guys from the group that was sort of more on the outskirts of the group, and I remember thinking he was really cute when I saw him at church. But then this girl comes up and gives him a big body hug, you know, one of those like Aww. friendly Christian body hugs, you know, and I was like. And- uh, you know what? In my head, I was like, he's a flirt. Mm. I was like, Mm-mm, nope. Guy looks like he's going to break some hearts. But I met this girl's house and this guy that I thought was cute shows up. He didn't know either of us, really. He was really kind of the, the straggler in the mm. bunch. And we were all like in this core group of friends. And he would kind of like come to stuff, but not wouldn't really stay and he was just sort of like and I could tell he hadn't been a Christian a super long time but really loved Jesus like fully wanted to serve God but was kind of like new to his faith and still getting Mm -hmm. his sea legs (laughs) (laughs) and because I was so wise and had made so many wise decisions (laughs) (laughs) well above I could totally judge him (laughs) no I didn't feel like that but just like I just saw where he was at and he was telling about his family and how jacked up they all were. And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's drama now. Andy's a flirt. No, he's definitely not my type. But then there was this other guy that had been really kind to me and I was not attracted to him at all. So I was pretty sure he might be the right one (laughs) because if I'm not attracted to him, that must mean God maybe... Because he's going to bring unattractive people. (laughs) Because I'm still so jacked up in my brain. Like, where did these ideas come from that God would give you something you wouldn't want? So I was kind of hanging out a lot with this one guy, Mm -hmm. uh, but not, not, not in a boyfriend sense. It was just sort of a, like, he was just being so kind to me and he would, we were looking for a chapel for my sister's wedding. Mm. My sister was getting married and she kind of had me on running her to-do list. And so I was running around looking for a chapel. And this guy said, here, I'll come with you. And because it was hard, Joel was a baby in that oh, car seat and crying. Yeah. And you needed that extra I just hand. needed an extra hand. And so he was so sweet and wonderful. And so um, somehow in that process of, of hanging out with him, I had said, well, you can be my date for my sister's wedding. One day after church, we were supposed to meet his family. His family had come into town from out of state and he wanted me to meet his parents, mm-hmm. which was, it wasn't like a formal meet my no. family, but like, it was hey, kind of like, I would like for you to meet them. Yeah. And so we all end up at this Chinese restaurant near the church and Nick shows up too and I don't even know how he ended up getting invited right but he's there and I you know how these long tables with a bunch of people and you end up at the wrong end of the table (laughs) well I ended up at the table across from Nick and I had Joel with me he's in a high chair and this other girl and this other girl's like oh man the pfr concert they're they're uh the band's breaking up this is their last one sure would be fun to go and i'm like oh i know i really like that band and and then nick rather than turn to that girl he turns to me and he goes well i'll take you and i was like free concert ticket hmm cute guy (laughs) sure (laughs) and so i ended up getting asked out on a date (laughs) (laughs) While I was at the table, 
with the other guy, which I mean, we weren't dating. It was just like one of those things. And so I remember thinking afterwards, well, he never got my phone number. So I drove over to the church really quick where he was getting in his truck. And I was like, hey, if we're going to actually go, would you like to have my phone number? (laughs) So we can kind of coordinate. coordinate. (laughs) I wanted to make sure that that I got that free ticket. (laughs) So he ends up getting my number, taking me out on that date. And we had this really fun date. But in the process, I was still at that point legally married to this Mm. guy. So, you know, I'm not saying I did everything right, but this is just my story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I said something. Everyone else in that group knew who I was, what Mm. was not everyone, but most of the people knew my story to Mm. some extent. And he didn't. Mm. And when he heard the words, my husband, he freaked out. And he was like, oh, gross. Yeah. And he, like, get me out of here. And But he'd had a really fun night. <laughs> Just <laughs> hanging out and laughing. And my, my spirit was coming back to life. Mm. And I was beginning to joke and, you know, be alive. And I just remember that being a really fun night. But then he was like crickets after that because I found out later he was mortified that he'd gone out with a married woman, whatever. But um, over time, he would pop in a little bit. And he told me later it was because he wanted to trying to slow the process way down. But he really did like me. Actually, what he says is that at the Chinese restaurant before he asked me to that date that he said, I'm going to marry that girl. We don't know if that's really true. I mean, you know, there's no proof. (laughs) That's what he says. Um, Anyway, after kind of we were starting to kind of date and I was still technically married still but he's kind of like beginning to understand my story a little bit and have a little bit of grace in that area but right or wrong that's how it went and one night the lord spoke to me and said nick's gonna break up with you and we weren't even like technically together we were just seeing each other a lot and he had he'd been coming over and we would just talk so we would talk never held hands never kiss never nothing just he would just come in after work kind of all there i mean he was in construction so he'd come over take his boots off at my front door and i would rock joel and we would talk hmm. across the room and for hours just talk and talk and talk and got to know each other hmm. one night the Lord said he's going to he's going to come over and tell you he's not going to see you anymore. And I didn't have any reason to believe that except for the Lord literally just told it to me. And I went and I told my parents, I'm like, Nick's going to break up with me. And they're like, what? Like, no, I know the Lord told me this. And they're like, "Uh, sweetie, I don't think so. You know, and they loved Nick. So that night I just said, no, uh uh-uh. And I went up to my room and I remember just me and God having this conversation where Mm. I was like, okay, not my will, but yours. And sobbing, I mean, crying, because I really was in love with Nick at that point, but sobbing and just being like, no, if you don't want him to be mine, I don't want him to be mine. I want what you want way more than I want what I want. And I had never fully like done that in a relationship, just bawling my eyes out. Anyway, sure enough, that night he came over and came over kind of late that night. Normally he'd come over around seven, Mm -hmm. came over at like nine 
And my dad's like, she's upstairs. And so he came up. Joel was sound asleep. I had the little bitty nightlight on and, and I'm just sitting on the bed and he can't see that I have been crying, bawling. I mean, like puffy eyes, the whole nine yards. He can't see any of that, but totally at peace. Like by the time he got there, I had gotten all my tears out mm. and was fully at peace. And he sits down. I remember he's sitting down on the floor, kind of against the wall and just being like him hawing for a minute. And then finally was like, um, I can't see you anymore. He's like, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call you anymore. I'm not gonna come by. And I was like, okay. And that threw him for a loop. He's like, okay, but I'm not, I'm really not going to come over anymore. And I'm like, okay. okay. And I didn't fight it. I didn't manipulate it. I didn't try to maneuver yeah, like, <laughs> like I normally would yeah. have. And then it was a really short conversation because he was thinking this was going to be a conversation and then it wasn't. And I was like, okay, well, it's really nice knowing you. <laughs> and then he left and I didn't show him to the door. I just Stayed. said goodnight and he left. And that was that. Wow. And the next morning, eight in the morning, like early, the doorbell rings. This other guy, the one that I had been, you know, uh, the one that oh, the, was, you went to the family dinner. Yes. Okay. He shows up at my door eight in the morning on like a weekday. Like what? And I'm thinking, oh, this is the one. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is the one. And I'm like so disappointed. Like my heart, I was like, oh. I wanted the other one. Sure enough. <laughs> sure enough. If I get to choose. It's like, but Lord, your will, not mine. Mm. And so I, I invited him in. He comes in, sits down on the couch and he's like him hawing for a minute. And he goes, so I was just thinking about you and just realized that you said that I was going to be your date for your sister's wedding. Isn't that coming up? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> As a matter of fact. As a matter of fact. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, God, you're like really Johnny on the spot with this because <laughs> I was, I mean, five minutes ago, Nick was <laughs> So we're making arrangements there and then the phone rings. So I go over to the phone and it's Nick. And I'm like, hello? <laughs> He's like, Hey, I was just worried about you. You doing okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I thought you said you weren't going to call me. And he's like, he's like, yeah, but I was just, I just concerned about you. You're doing okay. And I'm like, I'm fine. Like I'm starting to be curt here. Yeah. This guy's playing with me at this point. Like, come on. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm fine. And he's like, uh, well, I just, I'm kind of nearby. Like, could I take you to breakfast? And I'm like, my gosh, this is so weird. And I go, yeah, sure. And I mean, he must have been down the block because <laughs> he rolls up and here, the sweet, poor guy. I'm, <laughs> this guy was so kind. And Nick shows up at the door and they have this weird exchange at the door. Hmm. Hi. Hey, Nick. <laughs> Shake hands. He leaves. Nick comes in and he's like, wow, he's gone for five minutes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what's it to you, buddy? Like you broke you up with, with me. me. <laughs> and we weren't even boyfriend, girlfriend. No. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even let it get that far. So we went to breakfast that morning and I was like, hey, I don't, I don't really know what this is, but in the five minutes that we were 
broken up. Uh, I'm going to my sister's wedding with, and he's like, Oh, okay. And he's like, well, you need somebody to watch Joel. And I'm like, yes, that would be really nice. <laughs> Matter of fact, I was actually I in the it. wedding, right? Cause it's my sister's wedding. Yeah. And so Nick cared for Joel during the wedding that I was at with <laughs> some this other, other guy. guy. <laughs> it was the weirdest. Wow. And I remember thinking, well, first of all, I just knew that, um, that Joel was going to be a hard kid to care for during the wedding. He was just like squirmy and cried a lot and was super clingy with me. And Nick was honestly one of the only people that could kind of hold him. But even then it was like kind of shaky. My parents couldn't hardly care for him like by themselves. And sure enough, man, I had some clothes for him to get Joel dressed Mm -hmm. if he could. Yeah. And when I got out of that wedding, I come walking out with this other guy and Joel is on Nick's shoulders, all dressed, happy, smiling, holding his, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're the one. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like beaming. Yeah, it felt like the, you know, the the angels. (laughs) Anyway, I, I spent that whole evening with this other guy thinking, oh, I just want to talk to Nick. Anyway, I knew it was the right one after that. And uh, shortly after that, I I wish I could say that we did everything right. I ended up getting pregnant with Hannah. (laughs) There were a lot of things I did wrong, but he was the right one. You know, Kelly Sauls, my lawyer, she was incredible. I remember her calling me up one day and being like, "Um, you know, it's, it's really kind of been ongoing for so long I'm you know she's almost apologetic to me as if she's like uh having to tell me that I owe her a bunch of money which you know I had I had given her like $250 way back in the day and then she's like kind of him hauling about you know now she works for the hour you know it's like $75 an hour and it's been about a year of work (laughs) you know and then she's like so what I was thinking was maybe instead of doing hourly rate with you we just did sort of like a a one-time fee kind of thing and I was like thinking thousands and thousands of dollars but you're totally worth it you know and she's like um so what I was thinking is maybe like 500 would that work for you and you've already paid me like 250 and I'm like uh yeah (laughs) and I didn't have any money so that was just incredible I mean such a gift from the Lord and so she had she had kind of been keeping track of this whole thing and documenting stuff and really doing her job well and finally she just said you know um at this point it'd be good for nick to contact um your ex-husband oh wow and have a conversation with him and also um one of the things i forgot was after i left that day um, at his house um you know uh, the whole thing with the capital records mm-hmm. all that 
after I left there, um, that's when I pick up here. I'm sorry, this is a little convoluted, but I'm remembering all this stuff here. Um, he had after that started a full blown, like crazy stalking sort of thing that went on and he put Even stuff all more, more nutty oh than gosh. before. And so he, he had printed out these like fluorescent posters and he, f- he found the house that my parents were building and then he went to it and he put those posters all on the back, uh, windows of the house. So people were still coming in there to build, like, you know, finish out, yeah. put carpet in that kind of thing. And these were nutty. I mean, there were stuff like weird garbage about me being the adulteress and oh like really gosh. just strange weirdness. It just sounded like some cult leader. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and at that point he'd already, like I had start, I started kind of moving around from house to house. My parents, uh, were one place I was another, and I was just trying to avoid him and contact at that point. And, um, and so I had, I was staying with this couple, super cool family. And, uh, he, I don't know if he ever found that house, but he found the neighborhood. And so he had, shoe polish and stuff all over his car with like just weirdness on it and was like following me down the road honking at me (laughs) with all these messages stuff like that it was just really bizarre but the the final straw was the the fluorescent um signs on the back windows and I rolled those signs up and I went straight down to the detective that had been working the case. And at this point, he'd violated that order of protection. Oh, ton. So many times. Yeah. And so I think he had like seven warrants out. Because every time you violate, you get another warrant. Okay. And um, when I took those, uh, those signs down there, um, he looked at that and he went, okay, this guy seems just crazy enough that he might really hurt someone. Mm. And so that's when, and I knew exactly where he lived (laughs) (laughs) and they surrounded that house and they staked it out and he got wind of it and he left, he left the state. So he had all these warrants that were unresolved. Right. And that was a very instrumental piece in him giving up his parental rights. Mm. And so, um, it was, I mean, you know, you can't say I will, I'll hold, you know, I'll hold that against you. You can't yeah. say that, no. but that was looming over him. And so there was sort of a wink and a nod that, Hey, you give up your parental rights and I'm not going to press charges. Yeah. yeah. And Joel's 23 now. So I, <laughs> I can say all of this <laughs> without fear, but uh, that was definitely very instrumental. And so Kelly Saul's, um, my lawyer, she put everything together wow. and, um, and Nick gave him a phone call and, you know, he, he said, you guys have been harassing me, <laughs> you know, it's just like so <laughs> weird, but, um, he finally said, all right. And he signed the papers wow. and gave up his parental rights. And within, I don't know, maybe six weeks of that, we were walking into a courtroom. It might've been a little longer. I don't remember the timeline walking into a, a judge's chambers and he Nick was vowing to wow. care for Joel and no matter whether he wasn't married to me or not he was Joel's wow. dad and so God just like brought this whole thing full circle with like the most epic like perfection he gave yeah. 
like such an amazing father to Joel and gave me uh, a husband that I'm extremely attracted to. <laughs> I think that's hot. Your heart. <laughs> totally. <laughs> the desires of my heart. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the crazy part is that why did I think God wanted something I didn't mm-hmm. like, wouldn't appreciate? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, he only gives good gifts. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, yeah. That was that was the end of that saga. And it's been an interesting journey. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Storytellers with our guest, Rachel Aldouls. To hear new stories, subscribe and maybe share with a friend or two. I'm Priscilla, host and the creator of Storytellers. Until the next episode, God bless.